last year and a half has taught us anything, it's that humans want and need to connect. We're not-for-profit professionals supporting adults to live, work, and grow in a rapidly changing world. We need each other to build full plans and pathways for our clients so that they can achieve life-changing goals. Whoever and wherever you are, if you support adults in learning and life, the Getting Connected podcast may be for you. Grab a coffee, give us just a few minutes of your workday, and let's connect. Hey listeners, I'm Ashley Hoth-Murray and I'm hanging out with my brilliant co-host, Gay Douglas. Gay, how is your day so far? So far, so good, Ashley. Um, yeah, the sun is actually shining here in Chippewa. Oh. Although I understand it's not shining everywhere in Southern Ontario, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good day. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, good coffee. That's what makes my day. Yeah, okay, you got your good coffee. I got my good water. So we're ready to move forward. And I'm we're going to be talking today to Karen Schmidt. How yes. are you doing, Karen? I'm doing great. Also well caffeinated and well watered. Awesome. That's very important. <laughs> we're yes. a well hydrated group this afternoon. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, so today, fine. go ahead. Today, uh, as Gay said, we're talking to Karen Schmidt a woman who I can only describe as a walking Rolodex. Uh, for those under the age of 35, uh, Rolodex was a series of cards with contact information that predated Google and uh, was very large. I don't know anyone that still still has one, but Karen contains all of that, that information in, uh, in her lovely head. So in March, 2020, newsflash, the world completely changed. COVID hit, programs closed, and people hibernated. Some programs were able to pivot very quickly to online learning and online delivery if they had the resources. Uh, other programs, they had to wait out the first wave before attempting to operate in person again. And then of course, there were programs that always kept their doors open because they were deemed to be essential and their policies and protocols had to rapidly change uh, because of COVID-19. The second, third, and now fourth waves brought more closures and more modifications. One thing that was difficult for many programs was updating contact hours and delivery info, especially on websites, uh, on flyers, uh, just getting the information out there about the changes. The social service system has felt very reactive in the past few years rather than proactive. Uh, but innovation has also occurred, and it's amazing to see how programs have continued to serve. Referral to complementary programs have always been has always been an, an important part of building a holistic and well-rounded pathway for clients. But how do we refer when delivery has changed so much? Thanks, Ashley. That's a great segue into a little bit of a. A flashback for me about meeting Karen 25 years ago when I started with Literacy Link. I think that Karen is an apt person for us to interview on the subject today uh, in that uh, she used to coordinate a series of meetings around the region for service providers, frontline service providers. Uh, they were called interagency meetings. Am I right, Karen? That's correct, Gay. 
and they were all about getting connected, which is, of course, the theme for this, uh, these podcasts that we're doing. Uh, so Karen is all about knowing who to refer to, helping people get connected. Uh, so while Ashley may see her as a walking Rolodex, I see her as a matchmaker. She's really good at saying, here's someone with a need and here could be a possible solution. Or here's someone who has a talent and expertise uh, uh, and here's someone who could help them uh, fill the gap that they're looking, uh, looking for. So I always look to Karen to help me make connections. So she's an ideal person for us to turn to today talking about this particular issue. How do you find the right programs post-pandemic? So I, I have a couple of questions here for you, and I'm going to start with one that it are, what do you think after your many, many years in the uh, not-for-profit sector and uh, service sectors, what do you think are the key issues that frontline staff are facing as we recover from this pandemic? So what's it like to be a frontline staff right now in, a, in an agency? Good question, Gabe, but can I go back to the many, many years? Can we just go down to many years of service? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get rid of one of those many, Karen. Okay. I can forget how old I am and then how then I'm thinking, I know what a Rolodex is. I ah, all these memories, but so many years of just um, trying to make the right connections to make sure we serve the people that we're working with in the best way that we can, whether it's a coworker or a client. And I think with the pandemic, the biggest challenge I would see is that most people that get into uh, literacy or employment service delivery are really social people. And they're there because they like to connect. They like to have the group conversations in the office and they liked the one-on-one -on -one getting together with clients and they like the face-to-face -face and they're, they're all about building those relationships. And all of a sudden the pandemic hit and how they built relationships totally changed mm. because everything went virtual. You we lost that one-to-one face-to-face -face service delivery and we lost those connections that you build in the office that support you personally. So I think mm -hmm. that that whole transition has been a huge uh, hurdle. In some situations, people have adapted and become very entrepreneurial and in other situations, people have left. Um, I think they just needed that connection so badly that they sought it in other ways when um, work was not able to provide that for them. So recognizing, I think that people really thrive on those connections and relationship building. How do we, how do we help them support that as virtual service delivery becomes part of our new reality? Uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that we're going to face um, moving forward. And then Absolutely. And sorry, just one quick add on doing virtual service delivery. How do you also improve your focus? How do you focus on what you're doing through the computer or through a telephone line when you've got multiple um, distractions happening at home, the dog's walking in or the husband's asking a question or your phone's dinging beside you. How do you maintain the focus virtually that you would have provided one-on-one -on -one in an office? Where you could close that door and focus entirely on yeah. the client for a period of time. Absolutely. So since things have changed, um, how do you think referrals will change in the future. So maybe what are some of the skills or some of the characteristics of future referrals and how we're going to help connect our clients to the services they may require? 
And I think referrals have a, a track record of going one of two ways. They're just very quick and efficient and solve the immediate problem that's presented, which isn't great, or they're really good and fulsome where somebody's done a bit of research and they've got a lot of information to offer and they really listen to what the client is presenting. Virtual service delivery is really impacted, I think, by listening skills and having the conversation. You've got somebody in front of you who's presenting with an immediate literacy issue or an immediate employment issue, but as part of a conversation, you learn that there's housing and food security and um, hydro and electricity issues. Those are additional problems that need to be solved that have additional referrals attached. But if your conversation is not going well and it's fairly stilted and you're only hearing that immediate issue that you can solve quickly and efficiently because that's what you do, then that that's not that it's not a good referral, but it's um, only it's only really hitting one problem. It's not a very holistic approach to uh, providing the referrals that they require. So I think um, going forward, kind of pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, is you've really got to be proactive. You, as an as a service delivery person, you know your business really really well but it's your business to also know what everybody else in your community is able to do and provide. So whether it's doing some online research through reputable sources and 211 is probably one of the most underused resources and now they've migrated their information. It's all on 211 Ontario, but for community services, that's a great resource. Um, and it's still just reaching out to people and finding out, um, are you still offering this or what are you still doing? So that you've got almost a bank of information ready so when you're having that conversation with a client and those other supplementary issues come up that are impacting that immediate issue that they've come to you with, you've got some answers or direction to provide, or you gotta be willing to do the research and find those answers. Um, I find that people will ask one or two times, but if they're not getting the right answer or they're not being treated respectfully, they're gonna stop asking, but the problem doesn't go away. So for a referral to be really solid, you've gotta listen, you've gotta be proactive, you've got to gather that knowledge and information and be a real information advocate for them. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get what you're saying, Karen, and I couldn't agree more. The idea of listening skills as well as research skills for these folks who may have come into programs to work to help someone uh, improve their literacy or learn how to use a computer or help find a job. We may not have thought of those, as essential skills for those careers 10 years ago or five years ago, um, but they are absolutely critical. Uh, thanks yeah. a lot, that's cool. No, and I just, just one more add on this. Um, it's a whole new way of engaging and doing outreach strategies. So even if it's you're doing your research and you're gathering that information, so how are you doing your engagement? What is your approach? Is it email? Is it a direct message? There's so many avenues of communication that exist that I don't think there's anything wrong with accessing people in whatever way is the most efficient and gathers the information that you need. But once you've got the information, then you need to turn that and focus on the relationship building. You might only need that bit of information at this point in time, but who knows in a few more weeks what you're going to need. So build that relationship so you've got that contact on an ongoing basis. Right. And I think it was needed before and after pandemic, but now it's needed more than ever because there's just so many additional needs that yeah. have popped up. I think also like checking, I think there has to be a constant line of communication where we used to be able to uh, learn about a really great program, build that rapport uh, with the, the other service provider and, and make a referral. 
now because you know we've got second wave third wave now fourth wave we've got new vaccination protocols uh, and, and it is constantly changing. We almost have to have more dialogue, like more often with other service providers to make sure that we know when our programs open, how are they delivering service? Uh, is there a, a change in the, in the near future? Because, you know, we've seen our programs be very innovative and entrepreneurial, which is great, except have they marketed that yeah. to other service providers. Yeah. How, how do we keep up with those changes? Mm -hmm. and I, I'm, I'm flagging what Karen said too about that. You know, where do they go centrally? If they're not updating their profile on 211, where do we find that info? One more thing I want to say about uh, Karen, your point about uh, calling on a particular, uh, building a relationship and um, providing information or a, a, often a, a client uh, that you both can serve is that there, I think there's also a responsibility, of course, to give back to that person. They may call upon you for something and to keep that door open. Yeah. Good point, Gay. It's definitely relationship goes both ways. Yeah. And I think uh, virtual is not going away. I think we need to recognize that virtual service delivery is here to stay. So to Ash's point about upgrading and updating all of your contact information and service delivery information, that's going to be extremely valuable as people look for options and resources because virtual and um, something like a, a chat function may be worth exploring because this virtual service is, um, some people, it's their comfort zone. So there's no, as part of our customer service delivery, it's just one more um, avenue to reach everybody. One more thing about that. I think we have a lot to learn in the not-for-profit sector and the service sector about how businesses have responded uh, to the mm, pandemic and the, the, you know, the chat uh, factors, the features or options all of the new ways that we have learned to expect to be able to order products online or to uh, link with our services uh, that we used to simply pick up the phone. I think we have a lot to learn from uh, the other sectors. Absolutely. I would say we have some pandemic literacy training to do, Gay. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, all right, Karen, can I ask you a question? If you had to give some advice to a new staff member who was trying to make a positive referral for a client, uh, how would you, where would you tell them to start? I think um, I would start with reinforcing again that whole listening. Did you really listen? Did you have a conversation? Or are you just doing the quickest referral to solve the problem that they meet that they came to you with? Um, I think that's a big part of it is making sure that you're listening and hearing what they need. Um, as far as where to start, I'm going to say that I think um, anybody with a literacy or employment background, they're really, really good at what they do. So if they're that immediate issue of literacy or employment, you've got the answers. You, you're able to solve the questions and, and answer some of the problems that they're presenting with. But once you need to go beyond that, um, 211, of course, is always a default referral source. And I found in the past that if you're looking for a direct contact and you don't have one, whoever's updating that record on 211, there's contact information on there somewhere. Sometimes it's an executive director, sometimes it's a program delivery person, but often you can find a more direct contact on that uh, 211 record. And they are updated once a year. So I would say kind of wiggle your way through. 
Um, I don't love the 211 Ontario website as much as I love the in communities website, having that local database, but um, it is the information is still there. It just takes a little more wiggling to find. Um, that's a great resource for any kind of community service delivery. Um, because Niagara is so service delivery often is very geographical. You're, yes. If you're in Niagara West, you're looking at Niagara West, you're not going to refer to St. Catharines because it's such a pain without transit and able to get there. Although virtual service delivery does give you a little more access to some of those folks that are harder to get to. Um, but I think as part of a referral, you also need to look at who's in your area and you should know who's in your community. So in Niagara West, just as an example, where are the food banks? Who's got housing help? Um, where can you go if you need an interview outfit without spending a lot of money? Some of those basic pieces, um, you really just need to know your community. And if you don't, then you need to do some research to find out who is out there and what are they offering. And when the doors are open, it's a great opportunity to go and visit, like actually have a look. So you've got it. I'm a very visual learner, so I like to go and actually see things. I find I retain the information better if I have walked through somewhere and have it in my head. So if that's also you, then make a point, even if you're just walking by, so you have in your mind physically what the building front looks like. So if you're referring somebody, you can provide those extra pieces of information of how to go and find them. Yeah, it takes um, the, some of the anxiety away for, for a client. Definitely. It's comfort. It builds that comfort to walk in the door and you, you feel armed with more details. So it's, yeah, it's not as scary. And social media can be really good to gather information. I love, love Twitter. I find I've always got one Twitter screen open all day long because depending on who you follow, it doesn't require you to engage. It just requires you to read. So I find um, if you follow literacy organizations or the local newspapers or uh, the food banks or all those service delivery organizations, most of them have Twitter. And it's a great way to gather information. Even if you're just looking for reports, um, information to support a proposal that you're submitting or information that enhances the referral that you're providing. Um, I think when you're talking to clients, you need to, people need to recognize it's an opportunity to do more. It's really good to do what they're coming to you for, but by enhancing that meeting and providing more, uh, you're building such a solid relationship and they know you're somebody that they can trust and come to um, with other questions or their successes or it's that, so your relationship building with the individual as well as the community that you're a part of. Here's and you an know, Karen, they may not know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So, right, they came to that you for X. Yes. And by the practitioner being able to share Y, Z, A, B, and C at the same time, uh, and being able to identify that maybe it's that A, B, and C they need first. Uh, that's a really... Uh, cool concept. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's the biggest problem with information gathering. You don't know what you don't know. And so you've got to find somewhere to start. And the client, I think the practitioner has the responsibility to provide that the bigger picture for the client who may be living in a very small space, right? Oh, definitely. Yep. That's, that should be just part of what you do. Yep. Here's an interesting question, and Gay, you might have some thoughts on it as well. I, uh, I j- just sparked to me. So, Karen, you've talked a lot about when you were describing you, telling someone about the uh, about the building and sending someone in person to a service uh, that you could walk them through. But as we've mentioned, there has been a huge increase uh, in virtual learning and, and virtual service delivery. 
I'm wondering, what do you think will happen with regional or, or municipal borders in terms of service delivery as we continue mm. to see virtual program delivered? So before the person mm. in St. Catharines was probably gonna access a service in St. Catharines, but now what's to stop that person from accessing a service in Toronto or Sault Ste. Marie or somewhere else? And you know, what, how might that affect the, the larger picture? The boundaries may not delivery? be, the boundaries may be totally blurred mm -hmm. or unnecessary. Yeah. Karen, what do you think? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think that with social media, uh, for good or for bad, people share their information and their experiences. And now people can vote with their feet or, you know, their clicking finger, whichever is most appropriate. But there's nothing to say somebody in Fort Erie has maybe heard about some great service delivery in Welland and they're just going to communicate virtually and access that same service. That's a really interesting point. And you're right, beyond these boundaries of just our local area, yeah, what's to say people can't access something else? I think yeah, that'll be an interesting concept. question around our. Uh literacy service planning table yeah i think and that's something that we could explore actually as a whole yep. as a whole do show. some research on that whole virtual engagement is a huge piece and i think you mentioned at the start ash that some people just don't have the skills to be able to adapt and move into a virtual format mm -hmm. so if that's the case and engagement is a is a concern at the best of times and now that we're at the worst of times how do you leverage those engagement skills or build them for people who just don't have the ability to to reach people and try to keep them within their own catchment area mm -hmm. that's a really good point <laughs> but that being said I know people that have used services that never would have used them if they had to walk in so the virtual world has offered has allowed us to reach clients that never were going to ask for help in any other way but now that they can access it with a click of a, a button or through their phone you know, through an app on their phone, it makes uh, service delivery less scary for a lot of people. And there's positive and negatives, but yeah, I think yeah. we should definitely look at doing a whole show on this. Yeah, and, I think and getting, you're getting some and I don't think feedback. it's 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 not going away. I think virtual service delivery is just a, a way it's going to be for most industries going forward. It's it's worked, and people even working at home, the whole hybrid work models. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 a huge system systemic change for service delivery and work habits. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. So speaking of system, we are asking <laughs> systems. I've got, I've got a couple of questions here. Okay. I'd like to hear from Karen about, um, I'd like to know what she thinks the system is doing well and she can define her system any way she likes <laughs> and what she thinks the system could do better. It's interesting because system is not a word that people like. People mm -hmm. still like silos. They like to work in their own comfort zone. And it's hard to think on a system perspective, I find. Um, thinking about how what you're doing is impacting the, the next organization or the next person or the system as a broader, like whole regional perspective, it's a tough go. Um, and I think what the system as it stands now for literacy service delivery or employment service delivery has been doing well is that people still really want to help people. Whoever's working in this industry, they're there because they really want to help somebody and make a difference in their lives. And I don't think that perspective has changed. 
I think for a good percentage of them, uh, they've adapted service delivery really well um, and are still doing a lot of outreach to people or providing new opportunities for engagement and still being able to offer that service delivery in this adapted environment. Um, I think some people have really embraced the opportunity to try new things and to be new service delivery in new ways. I think they're still doing, for the most part, good customer service. Um, but I don't think the system itself has changed significantly. I think they've just adjusted. I think they've adjusted service delivery to meet the needs of the pandemic. But the system itself is still operating the same way it always has. That's my take. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, so what, it's, what it could do better, I think that fear ruled a lot of the decision-making at the start. We didn't really know what was coming. We didn't know what was going to change. We didn't know what was going to happen. And change is hard when you don't drive it yourself. Mm -hmm. So if change is happening to you and happening to the industry you work in, there's a lot of fear involved with what's next or how this could impact me. And it's hard to do service delivery really well when you're worried a lot about your own job and your own household and how you're going to manage. So I think in some aspects that the industry or the system has not done a great job at recognizing the opportunities that lie within the challenges. Because that the pandemic has presented an opportunity to a lot of organizations to do better with virtual as a service delivery option, but exploring different platforms or, or actually asking people what are your barriers to accessing service? We're going to try this. Does it work for you? I don't know if they've really done a lot of that. I think they've adapted and we have virtual job fairs and we have virtual uh, counseling sessions. But, you know, what has anybody really asked clients if this is working for them? Um, I think the system as a whole has always been really bad at telling our stories. I don't think that we really share a lot of information about the impact that we've had and the successes that we've created in people's lives. And I think people identify with stories. I think if you, they could see themselves in the story that's being told uh, virtually that they, it, it's more attractive to engage, to be also, to create their own story that's also a success. And I'm not sure we measure our impact as well as we could. It's hard to, having said that, I don't think we tell our stories very well. It's also hard to measure the impact. Um, that is not a hard number or data that right. the government and the ministries want as part of, part of a report. I don't think that's reflective of the change and the impact that we make on people's lives. And I think that's a big part of why the system could be successful or more successful to get more people engaged. Um, silos, the silos exist. Oh man, how often have we talked about silos and breaking them down and we maybe take a stone out or we move a brick, but man, the silos still exist. And unfortunately, I think the pandemic has reinforced them a little bit Absolutely. because it's hard to move out of them when you're stuck at home and your your world has gotten smaller. Your silo is still there. It maybe is a little smaller, but yeah. um, it and part of that information gathering and reaching out to people to get to be an information advocate and gather information that helps a little bit to break down the silos because relationships can help do that. At least get your silos a little closer to each other. Um, right. And I think there's still lots of changes that are going to happen. So it's not everybody does well with an evolving workplace. Um, and I think there's just a lot of adjustments still to come. So I think the system needs to be a little more adaptive. And I think your point earlier about being proactive rather than reactive is, a, is smart. It's hard, but it's smart.
So I think the really good parts of our system are still really there. We're really strong. We're really helping people. We're making an impact. But the bad parts are we're not really telling people. We're not measuring it very well. And we're still taking a very siloed approach to service delivery because we're not really embracing a holistic model where we're, we need to maybe listen better to what else people need to be able to really address all of the issues, not just the employment literacy or the presenting issue that they walked in the door or, or clicked on the Zoom link to address. Yeah, I remember uh, when I first started in literacy, uh, someone said to me, if you don't know where your meal is coming from tonight or where you're going to lay your head, the last thing that you're going to do is sit down in front of a booklet and try to increase your literacy skills. Uh, and I think that just, it just drives home what you've been saying, Karen, is it's taking that, meeting the client where they are. I, I've said that earlier. Uh, uh, in a previous podcast today, um, <laughs> meeting the client where they are and really, um, seeing the full pathway, you know, getting everybody on the team, uh, to support client success. And, uh, you have definitely got a long, long resume of, uh, of supporting <laughs> a clients. long, long resume, Only one long, one long gay. <laughs> Supporting clients, uh, supporting staff. I mean, you're a key member of the Literacy Link Niagara team. Uh, we are, are so grateful for your uh, knowledge informally and formally. And I really thank you for, uh, for being with us today. Thanks for the opportunity. My kids always say they listen to all these podcasts, but I haven't. So now I'll have a reason to really like tune in and, and give this a try because you can never stop learning. There's always something new. And that's also what a great new way to gather information, Ash. Yeah, yeah. Add podcast to the list. New and fun. Yeah, and there's a lot of great podcasts out there. Well, if you have a great idea for a podcast that you would like us to feature, you can send your ideas to operations at literacylinkniagara.ca. That's operations with an S at literacylinkniagara.ca. If we choose to feature your topic, you will receive a $20 gift card. Uh, so thanks for listening, listener, and we look forward to getting connected with you next time. Mm -hmm.